This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Right now, the latest look at home prices is out along with a private sector jobs report. Bob Brusca is here, chief economist at Fact and Opinion Economics based in New York. Bob, let's begin with the private payroll number, 534,000. What do you make of that report? Yeah, it's a good solid number uh, from the ADP. ADP is a um, payroll services company and uh, they have a lot of customers who are involved in this business and they survey them and then they try to create a number that mimics the number that the BLS uh, will be releasing for our national statistics. And, uh, you know, the numbers don't always track, but it's still a, a, an important number and it's a, a, it's a good number for today. So uh, going forward, if we want to begin getting excited about the economy, do we need to see several more reports like this? Well, you know, we have some way to go to put people back to work who had left the job market after the COVID crisis struck. Um, <clears throat> so it's 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 going to take a number of numbers like this to put people back to work. And economists are really unsure how many people really want to go back to work. There are people who don't want to work because they're afraid of the virus. There are people who have um, home care needs that they can't meet. Uh, there are all kinds of circumstances that have changed characteristics of the labor force. There's about 2 million people who have retired since uh, the unemployment rate was so low. So people have made a lot of different choices. And so we're trying to figure out where we go next. You know, recently we've had the chairman uh, of the Fed testifying, and he suggested maybe they need to have a, a faster taper, indicating the Federal Reserve to signal the job market is more fully healed than they had previously. Are we seeing, and it may be tough to tell as well, you know, you want to see long-term data, but are, are we seeing that you're getting a chunk of Americans that are just deciding to forget it and, and they're just not even looking for work, deciding to stay home for a while, if if not permanently? Well, I think there's some of that too. You know, there are probably some people who were working before and now with the cost of, of childcare so high and they've just decided that working doesn't make sense, you know, um, Hiring somebody to take care of your kids is expensive, and they may have decided, well, when you think about how much it costs and the cost of working and commuting and everything else and then paying taxes on that income, there's not enough left over to make it worthwhile. So I think there probably are people who have uh, left the uh, labor force uh, permanently and for various reasons. Let's talk about home prices. 19.5% jump in September. Uh, that's good, I guess, if you're selling, but not so much if you're buying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's uh, it always works out that way. Um, the home prices have been on a tremendous run. Uh, home affordability is uh, getting more difficult for people. Uh, the Federal Reserve does push ahead and start raising rates. Those mortgage rates are going to move up, and the payments are going to get even more painful. Uh, yeah, it's a very difficult time. But um, you know, how the housing market looks uh, healthy. There's strong demand. Uh, there's somewhat restricted supply. Materials to build new homes are expensive, and uh, 
you've got your perfect storm for continued price increases. I don't know if there's a way to measure this or not, but but what kind of an impact does that, higher home prices, does that have on the wider economy? Homer, you know, if home prices are going up, that's more money going into mortgage payments every month that isn't going to other areas of the economy. Well, well actually not really, because, I mean, most people have uh, fixed mortgage rates. So, you know, rates can go up and my mortgage is going to change. You know, I've got a fixed 30-year mortgage, and most people do. The variable rate mortgages... Uh, have kind of been retired in this low interest rate uh, uh, period. But of course, people buying homes for the first time or people who refinance at these higher rates, they are the ones. But on the margin, these are these are small amounts. The main thing is people's houses go up, they feel wealthier. Uh, some of them want to take money out of their house that can sustain spending. But if people tap that piggy bank, they may regret it later when they retire. Or if house prices backtrack, they may find themselves with negative equity in their homes. So the home price uh, impact on spending is actually kind of a complicated issue for economists. Thanks so much, Bob Bruska, chief economist at Fact and Opinion Economics. A year after a planned brick-and-mortar relaunch, Toys R Us is ready to try again. Let's get the latest from Jan Rogers-Niffen, CEO of J. Rogers-Niffen Worldwide. Uh, really fascinating here, Jan. You have a situation in which many people sort of left Toys R Us for dead, and yet it keeps trying to come back. Well, it does keep trying to come back. You know there are 900 location still worldwide, even though there's nothing really here in the States. But there were two stores last year, and now this big store is open at an American Dream. And next year, there'll be 400 Jeffrey locations inside of Macy's. So it is coming back. And uh, I mean, does this just show us the uh, the staying power of this brand, that they can continue making these comebacks, that they see a market for it? Yes, because it has not been a pretty trip since 2005 when they were bought out. And, you know, they've been through bankruptcy and they've changed hands a couple of times, but the brand still resonates. And remember, a whole lot of the people right now that are buying toys for kids were hanging out in those big old toys for us stores back in the day. Even this new one, though, the one at an American Dream, you'll have to drive all the way from Chicago to New Jersey, you know, to see the store. But it is 20,000 square feet. It's two stories. It has an ice cream shop inside of it. Um, but it's not the enormous thing we used to see when we went to an off-mall location for the Toys R Us stores when, you know, 20, 25, 30 years ago. Is that maybe the way to make it work, to make it more of a destination instead of having them in every neighborhood? Um, clearly what they're doing here is putting in a flagship, right? And it'll be attractive and people will know about it and people that travel will see it. And this is going to be a mall that attracts, you know, a whole lot of tourists. So, so that's a reason to do it. Putting it in 400 Macy stores will actually get it into your neighborhood, which will of course help a lot to get the name out. And then it's already starting to show up on the Macy's website. So yes, they're just trying to make sure, you know, they're there. You know, we didn't even know there were 900 worldwide for most of us, so we weren't familiar with the fact the stores were still out there. But now they can get back into the American consciousness by doing a few things like this to make us all understand that Jeffrey's back in the States. Yeah, you know, you're, you're right. When I found out 900 stores overseas, I thought, wait a minute, I thought all Toys R Us were dead. So apparently there there is a market for this, just, just not necessarily in the United States, or they're still working on that. Well, remember, the ones overseas were also not the big barns that we had here either. So the format has changed, but the name is still the same, and they're still showing toys. And remember, there's room, right? I mean, toys in the U.S. right now are owned by Amazon, Walmart, and Target. 
But there was room for someone with a little more cachet and upscale presentation. And like being inside of Macy's, we'll give them some of that. And having a few of these flagship stores in the very best malls in the country can give them some of that, too. So I do think there's a place. It's just not a place for what we used to have, which was a big old Jeffrey in every market here in the States when Toys R Us was everywhere, you know. Thanks so much. That's Jan Rogers Niffin, CEO of J. Rogers Niffin Worldwide. Just ahead, some help in making a graceful exit from your current job. Discussing the news affecting your money. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. There may be a temptation to leave a job in spectacular fashion, but it's almost always something you'll live to regret. Let's get some insight from Tessa White, CEO of The Job Doctor, based in Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, Tessa, there, there is something. If you don't like your workplace and you're leaving, there is, there is a temptation. You really want to make sure people remember you, don't you? Yes, and yet the I call it the stick-it-to-the-man strategy is a terrible, a terrible career move for one. Why? I mean, if you don't plan on working at that place again, why not go out and let them know how much you, uh, you're glad that you're leaving? It feels good for about 10 minutes when you drive home and you tell yourself how great you sounded when you, you know, quit your job. But the problem is it costs you 10 to 15 percent off what you're going to make in your next job because you lose the leverage that you need to negotiate pay. We still want what we can't have as just a principle. And it's no different when somebody's recruiting somebody who already has a job. There's a factor of, you know, they're in demand. You get paid more when you have that leverage. Yeah, if you want a job, it pays to have a job. And if you want more money, it pays to have a job. There, there is something to that, isn't there, where if you're unemployed, it's tougher for you to have any leverage. That's exactly right. And it's all about leverage. And that's why I tell people they should have a three-month strategy. If you want to quit a job, I have no problem with that. But there's three things you need to do. You need to start measuring now how you're making a difference, how the company was before you came, the differences you've made and what it looks like after so that you have metrics and you can speak the language of business, which is numbers. When you're interviewing, you need to start networking uh, very hard on LinkedIn. And then you need to have the leverage so that you can get the highest offer possible. All right. I know some people are probably saying, all right, so don't do that before you have a new job. But if you have that new job, is it okay to go out in a blaze of glory? Mm, I, I, I still think it's a bad strategy because I can't tell you how many times from the CEO on down, you cross paths with people again, you work with them again, and uh, you do not want to make enemies. As a general principle, you want to leave on a high note so that you can use those relationships again. It's all about leverage. You can leverage them in the future. Well, in the future, I mean, maybe that's important to dwell on a, a minute here. A lot of industries, uh, it, it's smaller than you think. So if you go out in a blaze of glory in one place, word's going to get out and that's going to impact you later on. That's never forgotten. That's exactly right. It does impact your ability if you leave on a, on a low note with a company. It will come back to bite you more times than not. And even even in future, like maybe you don't want to come back to that employer, but later on, word gets out and you, you want a job somewhere else. And they go, no, we heard about how you went out at that other place. We don't want to hire you. It costs nothing for you to leave on a high note. It really doesn't. And I think you owe your employer. Well, you don't owe them. But the thing that's smart for you to do is to let them know you're leaving. 
Don't run to another company or from another company. Go to another company. You pick the right company for you rather than just being in so much frustration. You just leave and then have to take whatever comes. And uh, you want to make sure that your company has some time to transition when you leave. Those are things that are courtesies that serve you in the future because you will cross paths again. Good insight from Tessa White, CEO of The Job Doctor. A lot of people leaving jobs. A little advice on how to leave them well. Jim Welsh is here, macro strategist and portfolio manager at Smart Portfolios based in San Diego. His website, macrotides.com. The Noon Business Hour presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Uh, Jim, what do you make of what you're seeing here on Wall Street today? Well, so far, Cisco, things have kind of followed uh, a script that I laid out a couple of weeks ago. In my weekly technical review, November 15th, I thought the S&P was going to rally above the prior high at 47.18. It did that, and then I expected that the S&P would pull back to the 45.50 to 45.80 range. Yesterday's low was 45.60. My expectation, Cisco, is that we will see another rally taking the S&P up in the first uh, part of next year to the 4,800, maybe 4,850. And then I think there's a, a chance for a much deeper correction. So right now, I, you know, what would convince me that the low from yesterday is in would be the S&P getting above today's high, which is at 46.53. So there's still a chance we could see another dip below yesterday's low. But the larger picture, from my perspective, Cisco, is that we're going to see a rally um, in the first part of next year that'll take the S&P to higher levels. Uh, now, we see today, uh, kind of interesting, that we were doing better and now it pulls back a little bit. I mean, is that just movement intraday or is that maybe people uh, moving some things around in light of what's going on the last few trading sessions? Uh, absolutely. I mean, again, there's going to be people who are going to look to sell into a big gap up opening, which obviously today was. Uh, there are concerns lingering regarding the Omicron uh, virus. Uh, people are still worried in terms of, gee whiz, will the Fed increasing its taper uh, size, uh, you know, have an impact on the financial markets and so forth. So there are some concerns out there, which is why, as I said, getting above today's high would add more evidence that the low yesterday was the low. Uh, in the meantime, until that happens, uh, there is the potential that the S&P could drop to about 45.20. Now, uh, with these energy stocks, I'm kind of wondering what you think about that sector because you, you had oil well into the 80s. Now you have a setback. It's in the mid-60s today. Energy stocks were looking pretty good, but now some people are a little skittish about them. Well, again, a couple of weeks ago uh, in my monthly letter, uh, I looked at trend lines on oil going back to the last 20 years, and there were three trend lines, Cisco, coming in between 83 and $85 a barrel, and I thought that would be uh, mark a high, plus the backwardization. In other words, people were willing to pay $6 more for nearby crude than going out six months is usually a sign of extreme tightness in the short term, and once that eases, prices pull back. So I think the high, I think, for now is in on oil. Um, and so that doesn't surprise me in terms of how the energy uh, complex is trading. So let's talk about the tech sector as well. You've touched on that a little bit, but uh, that was always very hot. People love some of those stocks, big names. Uh, is that an area people should be looking at? 
Yeah. I, again, if we get a pullback, uh, or, let me put it this way. I think they will certainly participate, if I'm right about a rally to 4,800 and above uh, in January, the tech stocks are likely to be leaders. So that is going to continue to be the case, I think, until we see a deeper correction, which, again, my guess here, Cisco, is that uh, we're going to see expectations of the Fed tightening policy more next year rise in the first part of next year. Personally, I think what's going to happen is a curveball. In the second quarter, we're going to see inflation numbers come down very, very hard. And I think so there's going to be a range of people being nervous about the Fed overreacting and then the justification for the Fed overreacting, namely inflation numbers, are definitely going to improve in the second quarter of next year. So that's why I think we get a correction in the first quarter, 10 to 15 percent, and then I think we go to higher highs in the balance of next year. So next year in the first six months is going to be pretty volatile. Thanks so much, Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at Smart Portfolios. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast because money matters this is the wbbm noon business hour it's personal finance wednesday as we enter the final month of the year a great time to check on where your money is and what can be done to be in the best financial position for 2022. Let's talk with Michael Palumbo, founder of MJP Capital. Uh, Michael, always good to have you on the show. So if people are looking at that portfolio, what's one of the first things that they should be checking out as they try to figure out where to go forward? Well, this has been a good year for stocks and actually most asset classes. So, and then thanks, thanks again for having me on, Cisco. It's good to talk to you. Um, so, because it's been a, a a good year for for winners, chances are investors have some capital gains uh, that they've already locked in, and they're going to have to pay tax on. So. What you can do is uh, is to minimize this is, is what the, a strategy called tax loss harvesting, which basically just means selling some losers uh, towards the end of the year here and and locking in that loss. That, that, that loss does, obviously, you don't like locking in losses, but in this case, what you're doing is you're offsetting some gains with some losses, and then that would minimize your taxes go for next year. So um, basically, we do that all the time in MJP Capital. Every transaction we do, 
we have to talk with a tax advisor to make sure we set it up right. But but in in this case, you know, we've had a great year in 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 the stock market. So most investors are looking at some gains. And so uh, in order to stop from paying tax on that, they have to uh, lock in some losses so they can write those losses off against the gains. And that's something really for you to, to pay attention to every year, right, in the last month or so of the year? Yeah, I mean, you can do it earlier in the year, but it's the picture is more obvious at the end of the year. So you know much, you have a much better feel for what your tax bill looks like, and then you can act accordingly. And you have to also watch out for the wash sale rule, which means that if you do a transaction like this, you have to wait 30 days before you can put it back on. So let's say you have a loss in a stock that you really do like, and you hate selling it here. Well, if you sell it and you lock in that loss, it will save your taxes, but you cannot buy it back for 30 days um, in case you do want to get the position back on because the IRS will look at that as a wash sale and they won't allow it as a, as a deduction. So make sure if you do these things, you wait the 30 days and you are taking a risk that that, that uh, security may go up in value and, and then you'll have to buy it back higher. But you know, if you do want to minimize taxes, you do have to take some losses here so that you can offset those gains. Describe rebalancing, because I think a lot of people don't understand that if you put money in and you just let it sit there, it's, at some point it, it gets out of whack. It's, it's not exactly distributed the way it once was. Sure. And, and let's say you have a portfolio and you say you want to have a certain percentage in a certain industry or a certain percentage in technology, a certain percentage in bonds. A certain, well, at the end of the year, if one, if one uh, industry has moved 50 percent and the other one's been flat, chances are your percentage allocations are now way off what you had planned at the beginning of the year. That may be a good thing if you're taking some huge gains in some areas that you were invested in, but what you do want to do is, is look at that and, and to prepare for the next year, you may have to sell some winners, buy some losers to, uh, to offset to basically get your percentages back to where you want them to be. Now, you may, you may at the end of the year say, you know what, I like where things are going, and I may not want to do that. But if you do want to rebalance the portfolio, then you're going to have to do some transactions here at year end to make sure your percentages get back into where you want them to be. And is there also, you're thinking rebalancing is, is the type of stocks and, and the types of things that you're invested in. Uh, is there also just making sure that, that maybe once a year or so you just look at what you're invested in because some of the companies you, you thought were a good investment, maybe they aren't anymore. Yeah, I mean, you should do that more than once a year, but, but yeah, at minimum uh, once a year to, to make sure you're comfortable with your portfolio going forward. I mean, I, I am an advocate of, if you're a long-term investor, to, to buy and hold and, and not be constantly looking at how they're doing because that will drive you nuts. But I do think, you know, after, after let's say, every three to six months or certainly at year end, you should revisit what, you've, what you have on and make sure you're comfortable with your positions and then act accordingly. So not only to rebalance the portfolio, but also maybe maybe your opinions have changed, as you have said, on specific investments, and maybe it's time to, to change your allocation. I'm either get out of them, double, you know, add, add to them, do something um, based on new information, because certainly if a year has gone by, a lot can change in a, in a company's prospects, and you may want to act accordingly to, to change what, what your allocation is to each of these investments. So just so I make sure that I'm hearing you right, you would not advocate me sitting here with my app open, checking everything 10 or 15 times during the show? 
Uh, not during the show, Cisco. We need you on point. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I would, I would not be be looking at things on a on a daily basis if you're a long term investor. The definition of a long term investor is somebody who's looking out at least six months to a year, and really longer than that. So you're going to drive yourself nuts by looking at things every day. Um, it, it may give you a thrill in a way, but but you know, it also could cause you losing sleep over stuff that you don't need to be losing sleep over. If you're looking out a year or two then don't worry about things that you don't need to worry about. You know, yeah, that's, you, that's my point. If you ever hear me crying on the show, you know it's because I'm looking at my <laughs> stocks here during the show. All right, good to have you with us. Michael Palumbo, founder of MJP Capital. He's also author of the book Calculated Risk. Cashing in with conversation. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Capital One is becoming the largest U.S. bank to drop overdraft fees. Matt Schultz, chief credit analyst at LendingTree, joins us. Uh, Matt, this is interesting. I mean, don't the banks make a lot of money off of these overdraft fees? They absolutely do. The estimate was about $150 million in annual revenue that they're giving up in abandoning this practice. But the goodwill that they get for being the first ones to the first mega bank to do this may be worth well more than that. So, what will they end up doing? Will they allow people to continue overdrafting, or will they end up cutting people off at some point? I mean, how do they do this? Well, what will happen is it's folks um, will be enrolled in either a free overdraft protection service that they won't have to pay for. Or if they don't want to be in any of any service like that, then any overdrawn transaction will just be declined. And so you mentioned goodwill. Do you expect that all the other major banks are going to follow this? I'm sure that they are certainly keeping an eye on this. Banks tend to be kind of a copycat business, and I'm sure that they will look at the reaction and the and how the public views this and, and, and decide. But I'm, I'm sure some other banks will jump in as well. And they probably assume, as you mentioned, you know, being, kind of being the first to do this, that they, they might attract some business once word gets out that they're doing this. Oh, there's no question. The, the headlines that they're going to generate by being the first mega bank to eliminate all consumer overdraft fees is going to give them a big bump and really in a super competitive space is probably going to draw some eyeballs to them that may not have otherwise gone. Do you foresee a situation in which they, they come to regret this or, or not really? Is it pretty much a win-win? Well, banks always have levers that they can throw to, to earn new revenue. And I suspect that there's been a whole lot of work done behind the scenes and a whole lot of numbers crunched to make sure that they're going to be okay in the long run with this. So I, I don't think this is something that they'll end up regretting. Thanks so much, Matt Schultz. He is Chief Credit Analyst at LendingTree. If you missed any part of today's show, you can just go to our stream and skip back to the time you want. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.